Welcome to Meet the New Boss, a riveting podcast series exploring how business leaders make their way in the world and how music has influenced who they have become. Here are your hosts, Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Neva. Okay, welcome to another edition of Meet the New Boss. This is Jeff Niebuhr. With me always is... Vince Catanzaro. Vince Catanzaro. How are you doing today, Vince? Great, Jeff. And yourself? I'm awesome. It's a perfect pre-summer day in Atlanta. It's uh, We're on the cusp of summer. I can feel it. But today was, was nice. It was nice out. How about you? Doing great. We have a, a special guest today. That's right. Why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce Keith to us? Yeah, so we have Keith Mahoney joining us. Keith is the Chief Executive Officer at Siegeworks Lab. And uh, I've known Keith now for a few years. He uh, also has a history as uh, an executive recruiter, uh, but much more interesting than that. He was a Naval Intelligence Officer, and he was basically an international spy and uh, has worked in the information government business for a good portion of his career. Welcome, Keith. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. I do appreciate that, and I will correct something very quickly. Vince. I was not a naval intelligence officer. Um, when I served on active duty in the Navy, I, I worked for a submarine squadron, uh, worked on, on two different submarine tenders. Uh, I went on as a civilian to become oh. what's called an intelligence operations specialist, 132 series in the GS scale, and and that's what we commonly call a spy um, ah. out here in the civilian sector. So I did that as a civilian. So even though I was assigned to what is the now recognized, because of the TV show, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, um, everyone seems to think I was a, a naval intelligence officer. Greatly different. Okay. That's unbelievable. Thanks. How did you get your start? Uh, I guess, first off, Keith, how did when did you first hear of the Meet the New Boss podcast. Uh, Vince told me about it before you guys actually started up. Uh, wow. Vince and I have been friends for a couple of years, and, and we share uh, best uh, ideas about recruiting and, and business and some other things. And, and I've, been on, I've been on a number of podcasts. Okay, great. dealing with espionage issues and some other things. So he told me all about it before you kicked off, and, I've been looking forward to the day where he finally invited me to be a guest. And that That's was uh, great. today. I kept telling Vince <laughs> to invite you. I don't know why he was holding back. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if we can go back uh, and do just a little history. Like, how did you get into the Navy? Was that um, out of high school, out of college? You, um, what was your, how was that decision tree? Or was it your decision? There's some people that are in the Navy that wasn't really their decision at one point, right? Brother, I was born in a Navy hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia. Oh, I really? started off in the Navy. My, my, my father was a career Navy, and it, it's what I knew. Um, and, and, in fact, my father spent just over 20 years in, in service, and I was with him the grand majority of that time. So I, I moved around quite a bit, uh, graduated high school after 10th grade, and in 10 formal years of school, I went to I think it was 14 schools in seven states and two countries. Wow. Always the new kid. And How then did I you went, graduate I went in fifth grade? Um, I, I was very fortunate. It wasn't that I was that damn smart. <laughs> Sounds like it. 
some have a semester hour uh, system, just like some colleges do. Okay. Well, I, I kept flipping back and forth between the semester and quarter hours, and I got to a, a school system that thought I had enough credits to graduate. Little did they know, uh, those were actually quarter hours that they had not translated properly. Took advantage of it. Took a took a driver's ed class um, the the summer between tenth and eleventh grade. Got my diploma and. I was off to the Navy when I was 17 years wow, old. Wow, that's amazing. I don't want to date you too much, but what was happening in the world when you joined the Navy? Uh, you could buy a house at an 18% interest rate. Whoa. <laughs> uh, that's, Jimmy that's Carter was president. Jimmy yeah. Carter was president, exactly. I, I, I a lot Navy of heat in the world, really, right? The Middle East is reasonably hot at that time with the Iran uh, well, it, it, it heated up after I went into the Navy. Um, in fact, we we were on alert thinking we were going to war when the hostages were taken. Okay. We, we, we were 100% convinced yeah. we were going to war. Ask anybody in the service at that time, they'll likely remember the that we were on the highest uh, rate of, of, of alert that there actually is. We were going to war, and it didn't happen. It's amazing that it didn't happen. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. So we try to weave music in a little bit. So I, when I was in 10th grade, I was primarily, and Vince knows this, saturated with the Beastie Boys. music and and i love the beastie boys to this day but my my music genre has expanded a little bit especially in college but as a 17 year old joining the navy i just can't imagine the change and maybe it wasn't a change you're already used to moving around to bases right through your father but on your own um you know did music play a role and and like if you think back to that time of your life where you uh, were you interested in music? Was it a part of your life, or is it something that uh, was just in the background? A lot of my friends have music as kind of just a background thing to them and not really a driving force. What's your remembrance maybe of that moment in your life and how it relates to music? I, I think every teenager relates to music from 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 his teen years or his mm-hmm. or her teen years. I think we all associate songs, music with something that was both happy and challenging for us. Mm-hmm. The teen years, as, as we all know, are very That's crazy, yeah. Um, so, so, so I was in uh, Washington, D.C. I moved to Washington, D.C. from the Philippine Islands, where I'd lived for nearly four years. And I, I got really caught up in uh, a genre of music that, that most outside of uh, the Beltway, which is the interstate that surrounds D.C., they don't know about this. Mm. It's called we we in DC know it as DC Go Go. It is our music. It is really? my home. But I consider DC my hometown, so it it is my hometown's music. Um, the, the the most famous uh, singer band uh, of, of of the time was, was someone named Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown and the band with the Soul Searchers. He had a he had a song called Bustin' Loose that actually was a very popular song throughout the United States. It was a crossover song. I feel like Bustin' Loose, Bustin' Loose now, Bustin' Loose. 
submarine like so you're in a submarine right like so my knowledge of being on a submarine is crimson tide and the red october, october. october. Yeah. right that's about my knowledge base of being on a side Ever have like the captain cranking rock and roll throughout the entire sub while you're guys are under the ocean? It's not exactly like that. It's not a movie scene. It's a workspace. It is a it is a, a, a high tech and also very dangerous workspace. People are working 24 hours a day, so you just work. And 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 to clarify again, I work for a submarine squadron which meant we were stationed on board a submarine tender, which is a very large ship. A submarine, which is classified as a boat, goes underneath the water. And the only time we would have to deploy on the submarines, it was a very short period. So we didn't have to go out there for 60 and 90 days plus at a time. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> ours was, was a completely different kind of duty, but we took care of the needs of every submarine that stuck its nose through the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, my, my, my command was homeported on the Italian island of Sardinia, 
Um, where fortunately I learned to speak Italian like I speak English. Um, that's a, that's then, a tough place to have to spend your time on a uh, an island in the Mediterranean Sea, <laughs> surrounded by you know beautiful European women. Nothing tough about it, brother. It was great <laughs> beauty. Uh, we loved it, and I look back with tremendous nostalgia to to that period. How long were you on Sardinia? Sardinia, Sardinia, in the Navy for about three and a half years. And then all in all, I spent nine of my 10 years living on the island of Sardinia. That's pretty nice. That's cool. Stunning. Beautiful. Go, yeah, so, go on vacation when you can. Much, yeah. much prettier than anything in the Caribbean, much prettier than Tahiti. Wow. Um, I hope I get a little uh, check from the Sardinian tourism board. Sure, there, so. Yeah. <laughs> we, they're confirmed listeners. <laughs> so how did you exit exit the navy and then what was your next chapter is there anything in the navy you want to cover that we didn't really cover that you think is interesting or you think people would want to hear i mean another um, the other aspect besides music of this podcast is is ultimately leadership right we want to we want to turn the head on the phrase meet the new boss same as the old boss we want to encourage people to not be, not be like the old boss right and to have some leadership skills. And so, you know, I imagine in the Navy as a 17 year old kid, you're kind of green, although it sounds like, you know, through your dad, you have some of that background already, but what type of leadership examples or uh, lessons did you maybe glean those first years uh, in that role? No, a tremendous, tremendous question, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, for those who didn't serve, they have a view of the military. It, it, it's something that's not, exactly correct. In the military, we have tremendous leaders, but we have poor leaders. Mm -hmm. We don't have many managers, but we have great leaders and poor leaders. I had the great fortune of having the most tremendous leaders who showed me early on, and this is something I've been able to transfer into the private sector, uh, unlike a manager who says, hey, I want to see you succeed. What you don't hear is a manager saying under their breath in the private sector, but not more than me. Mm. In the military, you'll find people say, I want to see you succeed. They'll put you on their shoulders. You can stand on their head. Mm -hmm. You can jump up and down on their head to get to, to get a head, and they will support you. That's the military, at least in my day and my commands, mm -hmm. got to give serious props to my old commands. <laughs> we, we had tremendous leaders who taught me the value of great leadership something I've been able to bring into the private sector. Perfect. Okay. So how did you exit the Navy and move and take us through a little bit of the next chapter of your life? Absolutely. Um, I was always going to serve one tour in the Navy and one tour only. Having mm -hmm. been born in that environment, I wanted to serve. I believe in the value of, of, mm -hmm. of service, but I wasn't going to do it for a career. So I left the Navy, finished college. Thank you, American taxpayer. It was, oh. uh, it was a very fair trade. My version of the GI Bill paid for college. So I graduated with no debt, and then I got recruited into the uh, intelligence community. What um, university did you go to, if you don't mind? I went, to, I went to school overseas, mostly with the University of Maryland. They have a European campus. They would send professors overseas. They had a, form, they had a, a large campus in, in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, and they, they would send professors to commands, uh, military commands, all over the place. Um, even on deployed ships, they would send professors. And the military encouraged everyone to increase their education. Mm -hmm. It was uh, peer pressure 101. 
you know, hey, I'm going to take a class and you should take the class. And everybody else in your command who wanted to see you get the head would encourage yeah. you to take a class. So one one class at a time, it took me six years to graduate, mm -hmm. but I graduated. And I ended up graduating from a different school, though. Um, now, now recognized for distance learning, Excelsior College uh, out of New York. At the time, it was known as the University of the State of New York. And they uh, they also did things very similar to the University of Maryland. It was a, a perfect program for someone with my background. But the grand majority of my studies, they were done at the University of Maryland's European campus. So how do you uh, get recruited into being a spy? So it's who you know. They, uh... Well, yeah, 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 you know, I, I knew some people, some other people were interested in, and I ended up putting together what was my first intelligence report, uh, not knowing who exactly was going to be uh, the recipient of the information, but I had an idea. Mm -hmm. And I was married with a child, and they said, hey, you want a job? It's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I need to put food on my family's table. Yeah. I want a roof over their head and clothes on their back. Let's do this. Yeah. I never thought about working in the intelligence community. It, it, it kind of, it was there. And with my background, speaking different languages, having lived all over the world, mm -hmm. there I was. Those mid-late yeah. 80s, probably, right? Uh, exactly. So I, I chased terrorists and spies, and... Thought I did a really good job. Diplomatic. Let's just say everything we did got ratted out by a rat bastard named Aldrich Ames. Rick Ames, oh, very wow. famous spy. Rick yeah. Ames was Rick Ames was at the embassy in Rome when I was in Italy, and he was just some drunkard uh, there. He, he wasn't the boss. He wasn't the chief of station uh, for the CIA at the time. He mm -hmm. was uh, down the food chain, maybe number three or four, mm -hmm. but. Uh, he was spying for the Soviet Union. Crazy. So anything we did that uh, pertained to anything in the Eastern Bloc would go through him before I came back to Washington. And, of course, he was turning it over. Little did we know at the time, all the hard work and effort, uh, it was all, you know, compromised That's by true. Ultra Change. Yeah. yeah. Any music memories of <laughs> traveling, going to different countries, sitting oh, in yeah, a yeah, restaurant, yeah, yeah, meeting yeah. someone? I, I, yes. Yes, the uh, top, top Gun, the the uh, the theme from Top Gun. God, did I blast that on the radio in an old cassette? I used to mm -hmm. carry a cassette with me of of, of the uh, Danger uh, Zone. Of, of right? Danger Zone. That's Thank it. you, Danger Zone. That's it. And and God, I would blast that thing so loud when I was by myself in a car, going to meet sources and and, yeah. and going to places. Yes, yes, I do. That's the song. Well, I think that's really on target because I, I, it was supposed to be released last year, but the movie Top Gun Maverick is yes. uh, coming out this summer. So. Yep. yep. 
And they were Navy, right, as well. Of course. All the great aviators, we don't have pilots, aviators come from the Navy. If any, you ever meet a guy in a bar and he tells you he was a Navy pilot, call bullshit on him right away. It's wrong. <laughs> we have aviators in the United States Navy. <laughs> well, uh, let's move uh, a little bit towards uh, your current role and uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, role you have now and Siegeworks Lab. And I know it's a brand new role for you. Uh, give us a little bit of uh, what's going on there. Siegeworks is a company involved in cyber and information security, which is very timely right now. If you tried to get gas uh, in Atlanta either today or yesterday, and you went from station to station looking for gasoline and you couldn't get it, well, there was a big problem. Colonial, um, if you guys are following this story, yep. uh, got hacked into, and there's a ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. So this pipeline from Texas that goes to New York that carries gasoline for our cars, for our airplanes, natural gas, diesel fuel, all kinds of things. It's been shut down because of a ransomware attack, something we're seeing more and more of uh, on, on a daily basis. Uh, ransomware attacks uh, we've seen at colleges and universities, small towns have had to pay large amounts of money to get their uh, IT systems back up and running. It was cheaper than actually staying shut down. So uh, organized criminals around the world are attacking municipalities, companies, colleges, and universities, often with a ransomware attack. They're organized criminals, and they do this on a daily basis. And they continue to do it because they make money off of it. Yeah. So companies like mine, uh, SiegeWorks Lab, are concentrating on expanding their clients' capabilities in, in information security. We, we, we like to, to, to use a phrase that's a little bit different from others, DeFi capabilities, degrading, disrupting, denying, deceiving, and destroying these type of attacks. Mm. We like to go on the offensive instead of always being on the defensive. It's possible to do this. It's possible to target the, the so-called threat actors that, that exist in the world, and that's what my company does. We've got some brilliant people who have worked at uh, the National Security Agency, um, many other three-letter agencies in Washington, D.C., high-level clearances. They've been around this kind of, uh, these kinds of attacks for, for years and years and years. And, and uh, we, we have to combat it. We have to be proactive. Mm -hmm. So I was asked to come in to help uh, grow out and, and commercialize a few of the new product lines at the organization. But okay. we have offices in D.C. and Atlanta, um, probably 48, 50 people. Um, mm -hmm. We can quickly, quickly scale up to about 500. We keep a pretty deep bench. Just like the military has the reserves, we have ours as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I I probably told you this story, Keith, when we had spent time together. I had done some work for the local chamber here, and we were doing kind of workforce planning where through the school system, in the college, and then into the workforce, uh, certain jobs. One of those jobs was um, cybersecurity analysts, right, that we we're trying to get. And I reached out to our state senator, who was also the CEO of the chamber at the time, to say, hey, 
down at Fort Gordon, they're moving Army Cyber Command there. Maybe we can get a cool speaker. And they've got a guy who reported to like the general that runs all of Army Cyber Command, a guy named Ron Pontius, to come and be the guest speaker. And he really like blew it away. Like the explaining of, hey, by the way, it's not cyber defense or cyber security. We have offensive orders as well. And we're basically I came out of there understanding that the United States and our enemies are a full-time, nonstop cyber warfare. And if it was like missiles, people would be freaking out all over the world, but invisible warfare going on to disrupt each other's economies, nonstop, always happening. And so I came home and told my wife, we got to put all of our money in the gold and ammunition because <laughs> the whole system is going to come down. <laughs> No, no, I think you should buy lumber and gasoline yeah. right now. You can't find either one of them. Yeah, fine either. Um, you know, he's he, he spot on. This, this is a war. Anybody who says this is not a war either has their head stuck in the sand or, or spends 24 hours a day watching Hallmark movies. And I like Hallmark movies. <laughs> uh, but but we, 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 are, we are at war. Yeah. And, and that's what it should be recognized as. It won't be declared because, well, Congress, uh, just, just won't do that. They should. Um, we're being attacked daily. And there, there are state actors, Russia, uh, Iran, mm-hmm. um, of course, China and their proxy, North Korea, and there are many, many others. Um, but those are quite easily recognizable as, as, as the entities, governments that are focusing their attacks on us. We it- need to wake the hell up mm-hmm. and, and fight back with everything that we have. Is it primarily state actors, or you think it's a it's a state actors and private entities and mob, and it's all related? And uh, or how it, do you it, view the landscape of the enemy? It it, it is organized crime, so mm-hmm. there there are mob elements to use your word, mm-hmm. but th- those organized criminals, let's say the, the state closes one eye to to their activity. If mm-hmm. they're successful, the state will not persecute to prosecute them mm-hmm. if, if they're not then they'll they'll make a show of arresting them and, and putting them away saying look what we're doing you know we're not allowing people in our territory to do this but absolutely positively 100 percent the government of of some of our enemies are very closely behind these activities yeah that's scary it, it is scary um but but it's happening so in the in the private sector, you know we're we're a little bit more nimble maybe sometimes than government. We're mm-hmm. allowed to to work hand in hand with government, which companies like mine do. We we sell to government. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the largest enterprise client that exists for us is the United States government. So of course we do sell to government also. Um, we can be nimble. We can be we can be quick. We can jump over the candlestick. You know. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the government sometimes it's just so big it's it's slow. They have mm-hmm. the money, they have the resources, but it it's like trying to turn the proverbial aircraft carrier in a in a bathtub. Yeah, Jeff, what about you? Did you so Jeff spent some time uh, running operations uh, for a vendor in support of the defense information system? Yeah, yeah, we supported. I support. I ran a group of PMOs that supported. The DOD, which our DISA was our largest client, so 
we had um you know we had deployments all over the world we had uh, it, it was a very long long cycle to uh go from contract award to actually delivering product and services um how long was it for you uh, i only did it for a little over a year okay um so it was fascinating I, my probably the coolest thing i got to do was go to a DISA conference out in hawaii um and it was kind of all the vendors there and i learned that you know hawaii unlike most islands that kind of spin off of other continents hawaii truly is an island built from volcano in the middle of nowhere and geographically and you know this more than me or i ever could probably it's essentially a forward base and there's more military presence in hawaii than any other square mile except for dc right it's the only other thing that they would compare to so that was a very interesting thing to see all the different military there all interested in you know everything from uh, high-end uh, battle-ready kind of computers to well we just need a better email server right for <laughs> i mean it's the whole gambit of everything we were selling uh, there was somebody in the DOD that needed to buy it and needed it to fit the right parameters of the government, right? Uh, which in, include a lot of paperwork and a lot of approvals, uh, but also a lot of spec. And it was uh, great. I, lo I love that job. Hey, do you want to take, let's head into a commercial break. Uh, so we'll be back with uh, Keith and Jeff right after this. So Vince, people are always coming up to me and they're saying, Jeff, how do you get a podcast what's the magic how do you even get started and so what I always talk about is the product anchor you know we started this thing and we went in Google what's the easiest way to get a podcast and like the top 50 results all said anchor so we went out and we learned a little bit more about it and we discovered some really awesome parts about it the first thing is it's free it's absolutely free well I mean it gets better than that you know because doing the whole process of recording and editing and just the, the creation of the podcast and the engineering, the app literally builds in, how do you record it? How do you edit it? You know, you could record right on the, the platform and edit right on the platform and add music on the platform. So it ends up being uh, not only free, but it's how you build the thing. And then the other thing, the next thing really was how do we distribute it? How do we get it out to the, all, of the, all the folks? And so from Anchor, you can do it almost anywhere through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch more. And it'll handle all the distribution, publishing. It's great. Well, you know, let's talk brass tacks. We're talking greenbacks, moolah, money. Yeah, that's where <laughs> that's where it's at. So it literally is like a, like a banking app, right? You know, literally, like all these banking apps that are out there, it's really built into the into the platform so it walks you through how do you monetize your podcast yep it's everything you need really to make a podcast in one place well you know i would tell all the listeners go to anchor.fm that's anchor.fm it's uh it's the best place to start podcasting okay hey welcome back uh, to the conversation with keith mahoney that's been a, a good one so far Cool. So, Keith, let's go into uh, the the uh, lightning round. Vince is going to give you a couple questions and just a little bit for everybody to get to know you better. So take it away, Vince. All right, Keith. So just uh, these are quick hitters. Uh, Jeff will put some cool music behind it when this production comes up. Are you ready? Yes. All right. 
Texting or talking? Talking. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Beer or whiskey? Whiskey. Italian or Chinese food? Italian. Asking permission or begging for forgiveness? Asking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Favorite childhood TV show? Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, don't laugh. The Flying Nun. Okay. <laughs> I remember The Flying Nun. The, uh, given the choice of going to the circus or the zoo? Circus. Is it wrong for vegetarians to eat animal crackers? Yes. And uh, what is your favorite movie quote? No, I'm not going to say that. Um, in, no, I, I, no, I don't have a favorite movie quote, Ben. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, some really strange movies, uh, I guess we can say. So they might be uh, off the beat. No, no, no answer to that. Can't do that. Nobody could associate with we almost had go ahead and make my day. Is that where you I, almost went? I, I was thinking of that just because it, it, it's very familiar and uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody else would recognize it, but it's not my favorite. It's just one that came to mind. But that's the speed round. All right, you got nine out of 10. That's pretty good, pretty good. So let's move into real quick culture corner. So I'm gonna ask you too, Keith, to be thinking about it maybe. If you were had a new manager and you, you know, we're all seasoned kind of leaders and we wanted to, Give them, hey, what's one piece of advice? What's one thing they could do that would make them a better leader of their team or a better uh, worker in your team? And so we try to come up with one, you know, one or two of these every week. And um, so the one I'm going to talk about today is giving feedback. And uh, this is just uh, my personal opinion. Is And it's kind of tried and true when you're giving feedback. They talk about like a sandwich effect where you give kind of a positive and then you give a little bit of a negative, and then you end on a positive. And I think the point of the sandwich effect is to try to um, not allow a negative piece of feedback to tear down a person's emotions. Um, I'm, I have a slight problem with it. I've given the sandwich effect to people before, and it seems like all they heard were the two good things, and they, they didn't hear the middle meat of the sandwich, and nothing changed. And you know, it, we just went on in our kind of lives. And so uh, I would temper it just slightly. But I think what I, what's important in the, in the uh, for me, at least the culture corner for me, is the intent behind the sandwich uh, method is we are creatures that are seeking approval from our bosses in general. And it's pretty easy to tear that down. And so I think as leaders, there's a certain responsibility we have to the people that are in our care to care for that kind of self-esteem and that there's a little high emotional intelligence required on our part as leaders to ensure we're not um, abusing our positions of authority. And the little anecdote I heard, which was very interesting, was if you want to know how your kind of team members feel about you, have a party and see how their spouses or their kids interact with you. 
because it's pretty certain they're talking about their day at work. And much of the time when things aren't going great, it's their boss that they're talking about. And so these people that you know are in our care, their spouses and their children have formed an opinion of you as the, you know, the leader, the boss, and it's a little bit of a mirror. So I just thought that was a great little experiment that wove into like, how do you give feedback? How do you do it deliberately? I'm not 100% sold on the sandwich method as the only way to do it because it's failed for me. Maybe it's the way I delivered it. But I felt like what was more important is that piece of how do we, um, how do we take care of the position that we're in? So that's my kind of culprit corner of the week. So any feedback there? Or does anybody have one that they want to throw out uh, as another kind of example or thought? Yeah, I mean, well, we, 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 we all have them. Uh, uh, having worked uh, for, for many, many years, yep. um, uh, there was a little lesson I learned from my father early on sure. in life that I still apply to my my leadership within uh, corporations or even when I was in service, mm-hmm. working as a civilian. Um, today ends in day. Tomorrow <laughs> does not. Don't talk about what you're going to do one day. I'm going to get married one day. When I have more money, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to travel one day. Uh, mm. One day, I'm going to do this. My dad always emphasized, and I like to say the same thing, today ends in day. Do what you say you're going to do today. Tomorrow does not end in day. And one other tiny thing, yes and no are, are the only acceptable answers. Mm. Maybe doesn't pay for milk and bread at Publix or any other grocery (laughs) store, maybe doesn't get you anywhere beside a high level of frustration, you know, your blood pressure goes up, everybody's hoping that that things will happen within a company. No, might not be the answer you're searching for, yet no is a stunningly strong answer, Mm -hmm. and it's an acceptable answer. That's good. Uh, I like That's that. Great. I was going to go with uh, asking the question why. So as leaders, especially if you're um, getting feedback from the ownership of a company and they're asking you to do things, you you need to understand why. You need to understand the drivers. You have to ask that question why. And then more importantly, with your direct reports, who you're asking to execute, maybe change things, do things differently, be able to explain why we're doing this and have them understand the big picture. And it's amazing. I found it amazing how many people would be doing activities and, you know, for, you know, all intents and purposes, following orders or following directions. Working hard. but, (laughs) but, But not understanding why they're doing it. The way they're doing it, right? And uh, and I think communicating the why, understanding the why, asking the question why, um, really helps to create transparency and understanding, and and makes that communication to your directs a lot easier. Cool. So we're going to wrap up here. Um, I just wonder if we want to cover a little, a little bit, slight more music. I'm wondering if you can think about well, what are some uh, more recent artists, or if you look back, what what kind of music is uh, you know is influencing your more you know late later career, adult life, or 
you know, where do you turn to for music relaxing or working out? Or it sounded like you used uh, Danger Zone, pumped up, spying on the bad guys. So maybe you're still doing that today with the cassette tape. <laughs> but no. what does today look like in the in the music uh, the music sense? What are you streaming or listening to? No, there are different genres. Um, I, 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 I still love uh, song percussion, and I like that beat uh, that, that goes on. Um, I, I love my version of big bands, which are bands like Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, yeah. I think Earth, Wind & Fire is just a tremendous band. Singers like Diane for strong voices. Um, Megan Trainer. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Um, yeah. I like that. It's a modern day thing. You know, it's just strong music, talent. Um, yeah, those are things that... You know what the millennials won't understand is that in a track, you literally have a change of track, like in the middle of a song. Like, you'd be like your favorite song, and then it'll be like two minutes into it, it fades out, it clicks over, and pick back, it picks back up. Right, right. Uh, and well, we had reel-to-reel real, real Yeah, that's true. Those. Keith, I enjoyed it. It was awesome. Thanks for your time. It was very generous. And um, I, I hope those out there can be a boss more like Keith and not like the old boss. That'll be great. So thanks for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Good night. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Meet the New Bus with Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Available on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. Please like and subscribe. Meet the New Bus is sponsored by Rene Vincent Executive Placement LLC. Contact Jeff at jeff.nieber at iCloud.com or find him on LinkedIn at Jeff Nieber. Contact Vince at Vincent at renevincent.win or find him on LinkedIn at Vincent Catanzaro. Bumper music provided by The Who and Budafi. Additional engineering provided by Just In Time Recordings. All material 100% controlled by Vincent Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Unauthorized reproduction is prohibited by law. Meet the new bus.